Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the after party. Yar! A pirate's life for me! <laughs> oh, guys, we're all just a bunch of little guys out on the seas, <laughs> being pirates, uh, sailing for Amber. And what what more could you want out of your fantasy role-playing game? Trust are our characters, Amanda. Both. Both. Okay. Brandon, you wouldn't steal a chest full of gold. <laughs> I would if I saw a chest full of gold. So why would you steal a movie? Why would you download a movie? This is why they don't let me into that museum with the the crown jewels of of England or whatever the fuck they're called. The Tower I, of London. Yeah, that, that's I'm banned from there because I do steal chests full of gold. Mm-hmm. It is right on a river, so kind of asking for it if you ask me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's you can only blame the victim if it's the British Museum. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. That's how I live my life. <laughs> well, Brandon in our pirate world building famously said, I don't want to kidnap anyone. I was like, Brandon, we're pirates. <laughs> I'll steal I'll steal jewels, but not people's. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will steal jewels and jewels, which is jewels and you, Julia. Me. So. <laughs> That's a me. Sorry, I gave uh I actually didn't put this in the world building, but each one of your characters has a morality meter. And as you do worse and worse thing, just you know, just like Fable One and Fable Two, they mm-hmm. hit uh Xbox games. Yeah, yeah. I turn yeah, evil. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there's a there's a morality meter, and as you do worse and worse things, uh, everyone gives you high fives. I, everyone loves it when you steal. Fun. Do I become an angel at the end though? Because I think that's one of the endings for Fable. I don't remember. I just love the idea that Julia is like, I'm doing this so I can get the good ending at yeah. the end of the Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Correct. <campaign>. Correct. <laughs> at some point during the game, Eric does force us to kill someone and then reckon with those consequences though as a human so <laughs> it's true i physically make you press x so that i tell you how fucked up it is that you did violence yeah i exactly. love morality in my video games yeah i will this is directly inspired by the last of us yes uh, i didn't get to say that during my uh inspirations for campaign three but it's inspired by that famously i did make an elden ring reference in a recent episode that we recorded that the audience will be hearing in a few weeks time so you know. <laughs> that's fine though All good if I get the opportunity to continue to make Dark Souls-esque bosses, it is only to, for my own gratification. <laughs> it's fine. That sounds great. I love that for you, yeah. And then the people at Drawfee will will draw them and be like, wow, Eric's so good. Oh, that'd be so cool. The dream. Ooh, the dream. that really. Okay, tweet to Drawfee and tell them that we should do a collabo where they draw green folks on us. That'd be I mean, nice. That's not a bad idea. It's good. It's Could good. Be nice. It's good. It's good. Call Amanda, call up Hank Green. Call an emergency merch meeting, and, but it's really just us in, the, in a room together. And then I kick Hank Green out of the Zoom, leaving me and Julia Le Petit and say, Julia, let me help you. You're overwhelmed. <laughs> Can I say something that we tried to make a fake business podcast for years to get Amanda to just meet these people? It was going to be like, uh, I don't even remember what it was because it wasn't like, I guess it had like girl boss trappings just okay. to make it seem real. Yeah, more like, you know, hey, uh, so you didn't go to business school, but ended up running a business on the internet. Uh, let's let's compare notes, which I still think would be a good idea for a podcast. Yeah. yeah. But it was originally, Eric was like, oh, how do you just like reach out to somebody and be like, hi, I think we should be friends? Answer, interview them on a podcast. That's that's step one. <laughs> but here's the difference and the difference between it be, this being a rom-com where everything breaks bad in the third act. Mm-hmm. I don't think Breaking Bad was a rom-com, Eric. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It is if you put a sepia filter and do a fan edit. <laughs> There's too many. I can't pick a joke. So I just, gotta <laughs> just short-circuited. There oh, should no. be more rom-coms about drug dealers, honestly. 
Yeah. yeah. So the way that this won't play out like an episode of a sitcom, though, is that you can be like, oh, yeah, the funding for the podcast just ran out. We're not doing it. <laughs> it's like we never do anything with the audio. It's just an excuse yeah. for Amanda to reach out to people. I would I be like so it. upset if that happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. We'll come up with fake art. It would be It would be a whole thing. It'd be a whole grift. Speaking of fake ideas, guys, what would our green folk zonas be if we were in the world of Vertistella? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that was oh, a good no. transition. <laughs> Thank you. I think I would be a, a succulent, the only kind of plant I can't grow, where like a very plump, like lethal guy with a few little like triangular leaves, you know what I mean? Like looks like, you know, the a, a sweet little like nubbin. Yes. Um, and if... I got too much sun or not enough sun or too much water or not enough water or I just felt like it one day I would simply uh, collapse. <laughs> that's me. Mood. Hey folks, if you want to play a disposable character in the world of Vertistello, just be a succulent. <laughs> and I would be from Overstock where I am fully here to be a life of the mind and if I ever had to leave my tower with my little sunroom terrarium, uh, I would simply perish. That's good. I like that. I think I would be just like a regular size maple tree. Oh, like cute. I don't think the trees or the tree persuasion of the greenery and leafy green folk need to be like larger necessarily. So I just like being a regular size guy while also being a maple tree and having like cool cool leaves that like change depending on the temperature. I think that would be fun. Um, it's kind of like my hair. It's like my body, like the trunk is my is the majority of the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, like the uh, the tree, the first tree boss in Kirby, Woody Woods. Sure. How like his, yes. his, the face is on the trunk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like that, and like the all the leaves would be my hair. Cool. Aww. And hands. Why do you hate Kirby? Uh, because he's a destroyer of worlds, and I don't like looking at the eldritch uh, power of Kirby. <laughs> Brandon. Oh, man, I don't know. I think. Hmm. Hmm. Broccoli? Broccoli? Okay. <laughs> broccoli's good. Broccoli's good. I was going to say broccoli. I don't know. I I, I feel like broccoli's right. <laughs> okay. I think I like broccoli's funny because then you can have a bunch of cousins that are all from that one plant that all the broccolis are from. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like you have cauliflowers, your cousin, like you have Brussels sprouts are your cousins. I yeah. think that's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The really, the really nutso looking one that's like very tightly curled. Oh, yeah. You know? What is that one? Yeah, it has the fractal on it. Oh, 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 oh. Um. Romanesco. Romanesco broccoli. Mm. There you go. Yeah. Also, Brassica is a fucking great name. It is. It is. I yeah. do think that they use that as a vegetable in uh, Crown of Candy, but mm-hmm. still I good. still think it's a good name. It was the like high priestess of the church. Julia, what about you? I would be like a tiny little jumping spider. You know the ones Yay! that you like see Yay! them and they're like, hut, 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 hut. they move so fast. That would be me. <laughs> Julia, my, my grandma did get me a mini olive tree for Christmas that I do think is essentially you. So that's fair. <laughs> thank you. Consider. I'm flattered. Thank you. You're welcome. This was the olive tree that when Amanda's grandma came out with it, I explicitly said, no. <laughs> it was at the office. It's fine. To be fair, when they released the first couple of Pokemon for Scarlet and Violet and they released Smoliv, I was like, that's me. It's just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. It really is. Man, it's like, you can tell why those Pokemon came out. Like, you know that the fucking translation team, the English translation team, snapped when they were like, oh, I don't care what this Japanese word is. I'm going to use some internet speak and make fucking Chonky, make Smoliv and LeChonk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Like, mm-hmm. you knew what you were doing, and that's why that's what it was, marketing. The marketing team worked overtime because Scarlet and Violet was baroquean and yep. <laughs> So uh, I see what they were doing. They worked really hard to give them those names. Yes, they did. And you know who else worked really hard to give a bunch of names in this world? Eric. Eric. Oh, that's Eric And we have so many great questions from the listeners, from the Join the Party people, all about the world of Vertistello. So let's start with this one from Marina, Sea Witch of Mayhem. Eric, how did you go about the world building? You mentioned wanting to move away from standard fantasy tropes. So did you just create this entire planet from scratch? Or was there any kind of base template you used? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think I had gotten to a point where I felt empowered, strong enough, experienced enough to do a fantasy world before I was kind of like burnt out from it in campaign one. It just everything felt really unwieldy. And I like having different distinct regions, uh, which is why we had the city states like they were in campaign one. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, you know, I love cities. I really, really do like cities and urban planning and all that stuff and the growth of cities, especially over the 20th century into the 21st century. So that's why we ended up doing like town city, being able to make a city from scratch was super, super fun while still like, you know, doing the slipstream magic realism thing, which I love to do, which is like change one thing and then everything's different. And superheroes, especially wrestling with like who has power in twenty late twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, was really important, and I really like to do. And then like the monster of the week was fun. It was that was like Julia said, "Hey, what if we did a summer camp?" And I said, <laughs> "Yes, that sounds great. I would like that." But yeah, no, I felt like I had enough experience to do it, and like sitting in the milieu, like the things that I felt frustrated by that Wizards of the Coast was pushing in terms of like the fantasy genre and also just like the unequivocal love I think of these like high fantasy campaign settings in uh, actual play podcasts that rose up when everyone needed to figure out what their second thing was going to be after, you know, like Mm -hmm. whether it was Mm -hmm. Nadpod or Taz or Dimension 20 or whatever, or their second campaign of Critical Role. So it was like, I kind of wanted to move away from it doing different genre because like everyone was kind of just doing like, fairy tales or dark fantasy you know what i mean so but now like i felt empowered to come back and do something again uh, i will say i want to give extra shout outs to um andor for making me feel like you can do stuff that's around a world without doing like straight up good and evil good prevails sort of stuff you're welcome eric that was andor <laughs> <laughs> George Lucas, what are you doing here? I wasn't Diego Luna. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just felt like I, you know, there's at least like a very Christianized telling of stories that are like fables and like good prevails over evil. And then the conclusion bears out in that way, which is something that I pushed on quite a lot, like sitting in the gray area or that resolutions don't always end up with something good happening at the end, which mm-hmm. is how, you know, I felt about campaign two the whole time and also the ending of campaign two. But then I, I was ready to kind of put this in there and maybe tell a different type of story where like, you know, that's why campaign three is the way that it is, right? Is like 
We are in the wake of an ecological catastrophe and everyone is using it for their own gain, whether as an individual, a state government or a faction who wants something from being the people who save the infinite lake and or and and find the salmon and get a wish. So I thought that was fun. And it was more like we're playing in this sandbox, telling the specific story instead of like and again, not to hate on Star Wars so much, but it's like. Space monks with cool swords with using the power of love come out on top, you know? Like, I'm just so much more interested in the rebellion and, like, the flaccid Senate more than, like, the actual good and evil sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can hate on Star Wars when you say that cool is said so loud. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. They're because they're all they're all like wearing robes. I don't know. I like being able to focus on the groups of people bumping into each other, trying to get the, what they want, which is kind of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Something I appreciate too is that this is not the story of you know the, the waterfall drying up and people figuring it out. It's fifty years later, everyone's still living, and like you know, there's people, there's societies, there's there's folks, you know, doing what they have to do. And I think that is so fascinating, which leads me to one of several great questions from the question surgeon, Michelle Spurgeon, uh, which is, how long after the water dried up is this campaign starting? Fifty years. Fifty years. Fifty years. I sit. <laughs> I get to do a whole Avatar The Last Airbender intro to all episodes now, and it was fun kind of writing that stuff out. But yes, it's 50 years, and that will be uh, clear when we start the actual episodes next week. Yeah. Ben Hoover 34, uh, I think, picked up on that vibe, Eric, and said, can the salmon give wealth, fame, power, and everything else the world has to offer? Yeah, I love One Piece. You guys are just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> I made my Discord banner uh, the One Piece flag uh, waving in the wind. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. One Piece is really fun because it's like obviously we're running with like anime protagonists where who are like incredibly powerful and interesting and friendship and the relationships carry the day. But like, you know, there's so much other stuff happening around them in terms of like the world government, other pirates, more powerful established pirates, the pirates that came before, like veteran and like legendary people who are now old like there's a lot of stuff happening and that's why i wanted to start 50 years later it's like there's 50 years of pirate history plus everything that happened before the cascade dried up Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of place where i wanted to live hell yeah makes sense here is a question from cat owl dolls which i had not thought about but really love how legal is piracy in vertistello is it a-okay is it fine if you don't bother us or is everyone like those damn pirates and how does this attitude differ between countries well, can we look at all of your morality scales just really quick? <laughs> I know the spirit of the question, but it's just so funny for me to think about, like, is piracy legal? Like, that's the that's just like an oxymoron. <laughs> Listen, privateering was just legal piracy sanctioned by the government during yeah. the actual pirate well, age. They didn't call so, it pirates, like, Julia. <laughs> well, yeah, but like they were pirates to the countries that they weren't serving. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? They flew the black flag, but underneath there was the colors of the country. You, We've all played civilization for right <laughs> obviously uh it's actually a very good question i'm very interested in, in actually julia privateers mm-hmm. and like people who do again what literally what i just said about like who is going out there to pirate mm-hmm. um i think that like we're kind of in the pirate zone i think piracy is bad in the four 
countries of Verticello. But like, where can you be a pirate on a on a like the Great Ringed World when there's like you go pirate on the sea and it's kind of like there's this no man's land in the middle where everyone's just kind of fucking figuring shit out. And I think it's interesting about like who is pirating on behalf of who, who is going out there, who's doing it for themselves, or using the individuals who are using the opportunities to like leave their life in the countries and go and be a pirate, truly being able to find adventure. Mm-hmm. I think that's very similar maybe to like how many colonists saw the American West, how the American military sold citizens on that. Like you get to go see the world, go do some cool stuff and leave your life at home and be a good person. And like whether or not that like is a tasty goal, but like obviously there's a lot that's like the machinations of power telling you to go to follow your dreams. And I think that's similar to to maybe some stuff that's happening here. If people are doing it on behalf of the government, I mean, here are some some great examples. How about the various houses of the crags? Who are they doing Crags. it on behalf of the current Crags. crag sale? sale. Uh, are we doing it on behalf of the current royal who's in power? who uh, wants to shore up like some sort of actual right to rule uh, by by saving the world, by finding the infinite lake and getting the salmon? Or are we doing it with a different house who wants to get justification to kill the current royal instead of just doing it and then putting themselves in a precarious situation? Is this someone who has been training to become the builder and is using this as part of their resume before the next building games that are happening uh, to eventually become the god king of the hothouse? Is this a zealous or radical offshoot of somewhere in Overstock that feels a type of way about something and then wants to go do something in the in the pirate area or maybe they don't even care about the infinite lake they want to do other stuff instead I think that there's and then of course open fields has all their own fucking problems dealing with like the church dealing with the church and the religious institutions that are there and the people who fight on their behalf mm-hmm. so like there are plenty of institutional powers that want these things uh, in addition to like the other factions that are around I was very inspired by the way that Blades in the Dark plays. I know that we haven't played that here, but I think we've all read read the book or have it or have seen it. Mm-hmm. But like a big thing about that game is that there are tons of factions within the city that you are like heisting from each other and stealing from each other, whether they're like a criminal group or like a institutional group or a government group. And I think just like having all those folks bouncing around um, was really fun. And that's something we did in campaign two, but I definitely want to lean on that in campaign three because it's like, you got they're self-selecting of who is out on the Great Salt Sea. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a lot of options. Everyone is kind of motivated by various different things, and I think that's something we get to explore in this campaign. Yeah, it's interesting balancing like people just wanting to be a pirate on one hand, and then going after something. Like combining the, I guess, modus operandi of both One Piece and Dragon Ball. Like, I want to go be a pirate and be the best pirate of all time. Plus, once I assemble the Dragon Balls, I get a, the dragon comes down and gives me a wish. Mm-hmm. And then, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, in putting it in, in this world. Hell yeah, dog. Bray, witching off the coast, would like to know, what made you decide, Eric, on having four major world powers and what defined those powers? Is there another version of Vertistello that is more unified or fractioned? in either case do you have a lengthy history of the world and its events in your head or notes or are you flying by the seat of your pants and then bray put an l in there so it might be plants or pants oh the seat <laughs> of my plants yeah where is the seat of your plants exactly eric it's a good point i think it's the roots i don't know <laughs> is that what it is 
I do into this a little bit. I think you all should all go to jointhepartypod.com slash vertastello, verta-stello, or check out the link in the episode description where I wrote out the uh, vexillology of the flags, the history of the flags for all the four countries. Yeah, Eric was just like, give me give me like 30 minutes. I need to just like write something up for the, the flag doc and then comes back with like intense world building via the flag symbology and all of us were like, oh, oh. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I came up with a fake Magna Carta, which was fun for uh, Natch, obviously. <laughs> for the Kick and Roll Crags, I thought yeah. that was fun. Let me pose something here. What is everyone's favorite, like, institutional slash government structure in world building or in fantasy stories or worlds that have been built from the ground up? Because, like, Brandon, I could talk to you for a very long time about how funny it is that there is a there's an intergalactic senate and, and which is just kind of sitting around doing fucking nothing while Emperor Palpatine is like dicking around. I find that deeply interesting for Star Wars. And then in the in the Seventh Tower by Garth Nix. Yeah. I know Amanda, you like that one. How like everything is based on your ability to do color magic, mm-hmm. which is fucking awesome. And there's contests. I find that really funny. Um, and also like the Hunger Games, I think is a really interesting government structure. I don't know if you all had examples of how how that shit gets interesting. I am always really interested in commerce, uh, surprising nobody. So any kind of like network of guilds, merchants, artisans, uh, you know, price setting, things like that, I am really fascinated by. And that's when I, I do enjoy like very hard fantasy with capital letters is like, how do you, you know, earn membership to a guild and, you know, get allowed to practice? Or how does, you know, how does commerce jump up in less regulated zones? I mean, surprisingly, no one. I also like Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. Just like the Federation of Planets is like both such an interesting concept and also completely inept in the show and like is c- causing problems for the people on the front lines frequently. And just like the shifting alliances between series changing all the time is very interesting. But, um, you know, on paper, it's supposed to be like a functioning government that's like got it all figured out as opposed to Star Wars where it's like, something that has it all figured out on paper but is not functioning in any in any way no i also like starfleet command from star trek because it's just like an excuse for captain kirk to be like you guys are nerds and they're like we know (laughs) well i don't i don't remember exactly what happens in the original series but in next gen like they're almost an antagonist because yeah to that point it's like they're like a quasi-military organization, but they're where their military organization is like exploration. And sure. the people on the front lines, like Picard, are like, hey, you guys are making bad decisions. And I, you are not here to like have informed ones and, you know, pushing back against that stuff. And calling Data not a person. And then do they say, oopsie. Yeah. <laughs> Data's a person. Leave Data alone. Uh, for me, I kind of similar to Amanda's, but uh, one of the home games I play is based off of Magic the Gathering, and one of the t- like planes in Magic the Gathering that we spent a lot of time in is Ravnica, which is a guild system as well, where basically like each guild has a representative that is part of the guild pact, and then each guild is kind of like a different area of society. Like there's a like legit senate. There's a group that is just like all about like human experimentation and like merging the uh like humanoid body with like plants and animals and stuff and it's just like it's really an interesting way to create a world where it's like okay well if this is stuff you're interested in you join this guild and then that's your life forever you know what i mean so i think that's a really interesting way of like joining people who have specific interests 
while also creating a government based around that. And I think that's kind of a neat way to do it. Not to not to put any gas into Wizards of the Coast yeah. at all. Uh, <laughs> but I do think that's an interesting world building aspect. I mean, just to build on that, and like, if you guys want to go privateer because there's a setting book for that, I guess do that under your black flag when you have a different <laughs> color under it. I mean, Julia, a way more interesting version of that is in Owl House, right? Yeah. How the how you get like sorted into magical schools based on what it is, and then you can never do other magic ever, even if you have the ability to do other types of magic. Mm-hmm. Like, I find that deeply interesting, and in how the school is like complicit in that sorting, and like making people do one thing and not doing all of it right and i mean that's just a uh, form of fascism in the the content of owl house itself which is Mm -hmm. a whole other story but yeah like that is a really interesting aspect of being able to sit outside of that is basically condemning yourself to being persecuted which i also Mm -hmm. think is a really interesting way that they played with that for sure So, yeah, that's where I started. I thought about, like, the different places, what are things that they valued, and then after that immediately came up with some sort of government structure for it. Um, I'd seen some tweets going around, and I still don't really understand why – well, I guess I do, but I I don't subscribe to it – of, like, why people are so fucking fascinated by kingdoms and empires. And I think it also has to do with, like – you know, us believing for such a long time that the American president is, like, a smart and good man who knows what they're doing and runs things. I mean, even Obama was, he was like an awesome technocrat who was like benevolent uh, and like kept uh, all the drones away from <laughs> from us, that he was the only one who could run the drones program because he was able to like, have values in one way or another. And I think like having a, a big guy at the top or then like a cool lady at the top was always fun. But like, you know, it doesn't give us structure outside of it other than this like very medieval understanding of what fantasy of what fantasy is so i tried to make sure that different people had values i really wanted the hothouse to be pragmatic and being about trying to be better i like the idea that the crags wanted to put themselves in tough situations to get valuables uh and then i liked the difference between the spiritualism and the hard religiosity between overstock and open fields um and then like how like what do you have too much dogma on one side and not enough dogma on another side and that's what it is and then being like oh yeah well if you're gonna have kings this is listen i've been watching a lot of the croon so uh i like the turnover of houses and of kings and queens and putting that into the crags and then trying to come up with some sort of government system that fit the other three, uh, like the alderman system in Overstock, the difference between the few and the many oligarchy, plus the religious aspect in open fields, and then just kind of the, the Hunger Game-esque games for the god king pharaoh type uh, figure in Hot House. It was really nice of you to um, base that off me and my whole thing <laughs> of being a god king, you know? I thought that was really nice on mine. Nothing was funnier than when we when we picked characters. And I'm like, so what countries were you all interested in? And Brandon's like, I have a problem with authority, so I'm not doing Hot House. And I'm only exaggerating 20%. <laughs> I just think it's way more interesting to have a variety of sort of the ways people organize themselves according to their values. Because any, any fantasy world that takes place under, you know, one ruler or one system is going to, you know, leave stuff out. And I think this is really fascinating. And the you meet in the tavern of this campaign is you meet as pirates on the, on the Great Salt Sea, right? And like all of us for different reasons um, find ourselves, you know, leaving behind the systems we were raised in to, you know, pursue some higher goal. And I think it's a really interesting cross-section of, you know, people who both have a, a rooting that is, you know, pun intended, that's different to each other and 
for some reason, it doesn't fit them anymore. And I'm really excited to encounter new people and green folk out on the Great Salt Sea who are also there for their very own reasons. That to me was something I really appreciated about campaign two is kind of asking ourselves like, who is left out of systems and like, you know, every breaking of a rule, every every crime, every use of power is motivated by some need, whether that need is legitimate or not. And so here, you know, everyone else who is pursuing the salmon has some kind of interesting need. And we're going to get to encounter that, I, I expect, over the course of the campaign. I'm just here to make locks at the end of the day, so. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. What's a salmon? <laughs> we don't know. Sorry, I think I, I'm looking at my notes. It's pronounced salmon. Mm-hmm. Sal- Salmon? Farles the GM wants to know, what if any is Verdistello's equivalent to devil fruits? Tell us what a devil fruit is in one piece. It's a good point. A uh, devil fruit is kind of the main motivator of the weirdness that happens. Oh, I thought that it. was just a coconut. That's what you called this. That's very funny. <laughs> that's also... No, that's the devil's fruit, Brandon. The, the, the These are devil Got fruits. It. Yeah. Got uh, it. So a devil fruit basically gives you magical powers. Um, that's why Luffy, the main character, has very stretchy limbs because, like, you basically you eat a fruit and you get magic powers. Um, and it's kind of like what levels up you from just being like a pirate to being like a anime protagonist <laughs> or an anime antagonist, for that matter. We don't have anything like that. I can't sh- I can't steal too much from One Piece, but what I do like about it and the idea of the devil fruit is that pirates. By having a relatively low tech setting, you can just throw some magical shit in there and it's fine. Like it, it stretches enough. It's like, all right, there's no battleships, there's no metal, there's no like we're gonna have like Arcano engines or whatever, I'm sure. Or we'll have engines of some sort, but like we're not gonna have GPS, we're not gonna have the internet. So that allows magic to flourish in a kind of like fairy sort of way, right? Like fairies yeah. run around when you don't have metal on you at all times. Mm-hmm. Speaking of metal. Tattooed and tall would like to know, if plants are sentient, what are ships made out of? But not all plants are sentient. We've already established that. That's kind of the point of the existence of open fields, right? Yeah. Yeah, So here is something else from Dr. Spurgeon. Is there a deciding factor that grants sentience to a plant or insect? Hey, Brandon and Julia, um, what was uh, the god Walt Disney deciding when he created Pluto and then Goofy? Sometimes a dog's just a dog and not a person. (laughs) I don't know, man. <laughs> right? Sometimes I, a dog's just a dog, not a person. Yep. It's got a face, it's a person. No faces is for ships. <laughs> they wrote that on uh, Walt Disney's uh, gravestone is sometimes a dog's not a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then below that it said no Jews allowed. Yeah. Uh, well, that's above <laughs> it in big lock. Big lock. <laughs> that's, sorry, oh, it's yeah, above no, no, it. No, 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 it's a neon. It's always on. Yeah. I, I mean, I just think it's, it's just one of those... Um, what is it, like splitting evolution sort of things? Like, you know, the humans came out one way and chimpanzees came out another way. So there are, there was probably a point at some point. I don't know. I mean, are we going to go into whether or not there was like divine creation uh, or evolution in Vertistella? Like, I'm not sure. But like there are the plant people and then there's the plants themselves and they interact. And I just like the idea of having to like look at that in the face. And nothing is funnier to me than like having a stat that's like, I don't get freaked out by looking at the occult. I know. That's my favorite part of the world building. I think you also have to think about like in Verticello, there is a difference between plants and plant people. Like plant people are not just plants that gain sentience. They're plant people. They're green folk. Yeah. So like there is a difference between those two things. But also I was going to make a joke about us making boats out of chimps. 
So imagine I did oh, that. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's pretty funny, Brandon. That's pretty Brandon, good. I'm going to decline to imagine it, but thank you for giving me the option. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. I think I did it in the other way around when I was coming up with open fields. I think I was like, I want something. I want there to be some sort of religiosity here. And I was really trying not to put myself into like the Christian box uh, or more specifically the Catholic church box that like every religious creation in fantasy worlds or in created worlds are either my experience with the Catholic church was good or my experience with the Catholic church was bad. So I was trying to do something else. It's like, why would there be some sort of institution? It's because this one country is the one who has to look the uh, unimaginable in the face and be okay with it. And I like the idea that like farmers have to, and it's like a, it's a religion of farmers. And I kind of, I just really like that. I thought it was neat. Hell yeah. Same. TJ asks, speaking of farming, um, thinking about this world, how do textiles work? Do spider people sell their silk for clothing or where do clothes come from? I imagine a lot of like flaxen, um, you know, like hemp and uh, and cotton and, and spinning of all kinds of plants from open fields. Yeah. I, again, I think that there are probably plants that can be made into clothing either from the plant giving up flowers or the spiders uh, weaving silk or what have you. And then, again, there's non-sentient plants that we could use. It's yeah. fine. Oh, I was going to say petroleum products. Oh, no. <laughs> Plastics <laughs> only. <laughs> yeah, the waterfall turned off and in the middle was a big uh, offshore drilling platform. <laughs> oh, God. Drill, baby, yeah, drill. there was a millionaire with an oil derrick at the top of the Cascades. It was fucking wild. <laughs> Uh, Bourbon Wolf said, are there any kind of creatures that green folk keep as pets? Yes. So we didn't get into this, but we did start establishing this as soon as we started playing. We're using Avatar The Last Airbender rules with our animals, which is that animals exist, but you need to combine it with a plant. Like, I don't know if you all remember, like, Plantables. the platypus. Plantables, yes. The yes. platypus ducks, uh, notoriously from... Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender that everyone loves or Appa, the uh, flying bison. You got to combine all this stuff together. Wait, what do you combine a flying bison with flight? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a bison. It's got extra legs and it can fly. Don't question it, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing. You're, you're, you're fantif- fantasifying. It's like you give it a big tail and extra legs and also it can fly. Yeah. yeah. They have badger moles. I mm. use a better one. Badger moles are mm-hmm. the, who teaches the earthbending people how to earthbend. They're mm. a cross between a badger and a mole and they're also giant. Yeah. And they're huge. Yeah. So we're using that as long as you combine a plant with an animal, it's fine. So there are animals. Give us an example. Oh, like. Julia, I don't know. Something like, I guess like it's a dogwood, but it's a dog ah. that has flowers oh. on it. Yeah. Ah. Cute, yeah, and they that. bark. Yeah, very good, Brandon. So cute. Ah, hey, Brand. Hey, hey, kid. Here's a joke for your troubles. Hey, thanks, son. Uh, Dad. I guess. <laughs> hey, hey, boy. <laughs> what what day is it? It's go- I'll go. I'll go buy your goose, sir. I think I'm mixing things up. You, you, you <laughs> Brandon. You went three lines too late in the script. <laughs> no, no, that was a Victorian grandfather of the newsy. <laughs> no, I was doing a Christmas carol uh, that Brandon yeah. skipped forward and did not say it was Christmas. This is my island in the sun heat wave. All right, we're going to have a little meeting with Brandon about his references in the kitchen. Uh, when we pop... Brandon needs some liquid. What is that? As I pop in there to refill our chip tray. Be right back. Hey, it's Amanda. 
I don't know if this is an experience that other tea drinkers have, but I often find myself just traveling throughout like to friends' houses and just the world. I'm packing for a vacation right now with just a little Ziploc baggie of tea bags um, because I spend a lot of time with coffee drinkers. And while I also love coffee, there is nothing, especially in the wintertime, like a rainy, dreary, gray afternoon like it is right now, um, than having a cup of my favorite tea. So welcome to the mid-roll. It's an Assam. Thank you and welcome to our newest patrons. I am so glad that you are as stoked about Campaign 3 as we are. So welcome to Holly, Merrick, Liz, and Minnie. You are all so smart and brave and special and pretty. And you have joined us at patreon.com slash join the party pod where everyone else can as well and take advantage of our patron only discord, our bi-weekly video and audio podcast party planning, and so much more. That's patreon.com slash join the party pod. Did you know if you don't have enough weekly join the party in our life and if the additional bi-weekly party planning, you're like, oh, I watch it and then it's Friday and, you know, it's, it's over with and like, what do I do? That we stream on Twitch and it's very good and fun every single Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. The join the party crew is over on Twitch making side quests. That means characters, plots, items, settings and more for you to use at home. We've been doing recently. Uh, using Hero Forge's 3D modeling tool to make some NPCs and animal friends uh, in the sort of campaign three world. And Eric has said that at least one of the creatures we have made will find their way into the show. So if you want to join or watch our video replays, go to twitch.tv slash JTP side quests. That link is in the description as well. It is a big week at Multitude People because Eric has a new show. Tell Me About It is a madcap game show about proving that the things you like are actually interesting. It's hosted by Adel Rafai from Hello from the Magic Tavern, which you may have heard of here in the real play space, and Hey Riddle Riddle, one of our very favorite podcasts that Julia and Brandon and Eric and me all quote all the time. And Eric is his co-host, his audio butler, in fact, because on the show, Adel plays an eccentric billionaire who has wrangled audio butler Eric to find different guests to prove that the single most interesting and cool thing ever in the world is anything but Adel's favorite, the movie musical Grease. That means every episode, a guest comes on to share and defend their favorite thing through a series of absurd games and challenges. And at the end, Adel decides, is it actually cooler or better than the movie musical Grease? It's a high bar, people. The trailer is out now, and the first two episodes drop in just a few days' time on February 23rd. New episodes after that are going to be every other Thursday. Eric and Brandon with sound design and editing and many, many multitude folks have put so much time and effort into this podcast. We've been working on it for over a year, and gosh, I'm just so excited for you to hear it. Tell Me About It is in your podcast app now. Link is in the description. And you know what? It's the most fun podcast run by a multi-billionaire. That's for sure. We are sponsored today by 20 Sided Store, who have expanded recently and opened up a whole new retail location at 280 Grand Street, just a block away from their original spot, which is now turning into an events space. And among many other things, they are hoping to host more live events like live podcasts in the future than they used to. Everything else is the same. There is no changes to their website or anything else, uh, but they are so excited. They've been working so hard on this expansion, and I am so excited for you 
you to see it in person should you visit New York City, or as always, to check out their fabulous inventory of games, gaming accessories, dice, notebooks, minis, or, you know, just go in, try in a window shop, and then walk out with something fun. That's what I do all the time. So, when you visit 20 Sided Store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York, you can just mention join the party and get 20% off your order. Or you can use the code PIRATE for 20% off your order online at 20, the word, sidedstore.com. That's 20, T-W-E-N-T-Y, sidedstore.com. We are also sponsored by Cornbread Hemp, which is genuinely the thing responsible for me being a productive member of society who gets enough sleep because I use Cornbread Hemp USDA certified organic CBD oil to help me sleep through the night. I used to have a problem where I would wake up in the middle of the night to pee or just from like hearing a loud noise or whatever and not be able to get back to sleep. And CBD is the only thing that I have found that helps me actually go back to sleep reliably. It was such a lifesaver. And I really love Cornbread Hemp. They are a CBD company based in Kentucky. They are vegan friendly, by the way. Almost all their products are vegan, including CBD oils and gummies, which is not generally true other places. They're a family-owned company. They're crowdfunded. Everything is grown and made in Kentucky. One of the founders used to live like a few blocks away from the studio here in Greenpoint. Uh, they're they're lovely people doing this well on their way to becoming a B Corp, by the way, which uh, in- <laughs> requires an incredible amount of paperwork and their products are really great. So if you wondered about CBD, if you want to learn more about it, if you want to read any of the independent lab reports that they have published on their website all about their products, you should. Go to cornbreadhemp.com and use code JOINTHEPARTY for 25% off your order. That is cornbreadhemp.com and the code is JOINTHEPARTY. Finally, the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I was saying just a few minutes ago that when I am feeling out of place and not on my best game, I feel like I'm not being my best self. I'm not living my best life. And I really rely on therapy to be able to check in with someone once a week who, you know, her only job is to help me make sure that I'm doing my best and dealing with the stuff that feels overwhelming and and feels bad in my life. Because when I take care of all of that, then I can show up best for others. And, you know, some days it's not my top priority to be nice to myself, but I can sort of jujitsu myself into doing things that I know are good for me because I say to myself, well, this is how I really show up best for others. And, you know, listen, I'm working on that thing too in therapy, but in the meantime, it's very helpful. And if you want to give therapy a try, BetterHelp is a convenient, flexible, and affordable, entirely online way to do it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash join the party today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash join the party. And now back to the show. I Brandon has four different Capri Suns that he's drinking at the same time. I think he's getting liquefied. Okay. I, I said hydrated. I meant hydrated, but I said liquefied. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon is becoming liquefied. He's becoming a liquid yep. from the inside out. And we just all have to deal with that now. Well, it's Capri Sun. He's turning into like the Terminator 2 liquid. You know how that was part of the commercials? I was just... Eric, same brain. <laughs> same brain. No. All right. We have heard a lot about the world of Vertistello and how it came to be. But we also, of course, met our crew in this pregame era. So players, a question from Dr. Spurgeon. 
will it be difficult for you to play a non-human character? And just to peel back the veil, the waterfall a little bit, we've played three episodes so far of Campaign 3. Uh, so we have a little bit of experience, but not a ton so far. We're still at the, you know, at, at early stages of what it's like to play these characters in this world. Uh, Julia Brandon, how has it gone so far to play a non-human character? I mean, I think the green folk are people, and I think it's very easy to play a person. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yes. So I don't I don't find that there is much of a difference knowing that my character is a tea plant, a sentient tea plant, as opposed to, I don't know, <laughs> uh, an elf. I Yeah, totally. the only difference is that I get overripe with time. <laughs> but so do, so do people, so. Yeah. yeah. You get smelly when you're bruised. That's true. So funny. Uh, speaking of our, our ancient friend Umby, Mr. Micah wants to know, Brandon, since Umby is so ancient, is he old enough to remember when the Cascade dried up? And has he been a pirate since the beginning of the tide? Uh, answer to the first question is yes. I don't, I, I think it's funnier, like it's it's a bit of a joke, but, but like, I don't think it really matters how exactly old Umby is, but definitely old enough to have been a person before the Cascade dried up. And then the second question... I, I think we'll find out more. Honestly, like, I'm, you know, it's the f beginning of the campaign. We're still figuring out the characters a little bit, like their their personhood, their lived experiences. But I imagine no, not exactly. And I don't know that, like, like do you, th do you guys think in the 1700s or whatever pirates were active, like, do they call themselves pirates? Yes. Like, do they, were they like, we're pirates, are Yes. They did? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Pirate um, culture, very strong. Well, I think it's a choice. It's like... It's like, oh, I want to go be on the life of the sea. Like, you choose to be a sailor, you know, in a very um, Moby Dick sort of way. Yeah. Like, and, that's your vocation now. And we said in the character creation episode that Umbi might have just, like, kind of made a bet or gone to investigate something and and, and looked up and been like, oh, I've, I've been on the seas for several months. So, yeah. I did just crystallize uh, when Eric was talking about the world building in the first half of this episode. It crystallized in my head what Umbi's motivation is. So, thank you for that, Eric. Oh, Hell yeah. Good job, um, my guy. Hell Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Surf's on my guy, hundred <laughs> percent. But yeah, I think Umbi definitely like kind of just like floats around different spots to try to find capital T truths. So I think he would probably call himself a sailor, and then you know, when you become a sailor who like believes in the Robin Hood ethos, you, you end up a pirate. <laughs> you know. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. Uh, you know, having Umbi's be more ambiguous. I mean, it's pretty like. Even if Cammy was not explicit about it, like we can guess maybe that Cammy had a problem and then had to leave, and then uh, we know explicitly what happened to Troy. That Troy's doing some crag shit. Crag, crag, crags. Yeah, glory so, for crags. So I think that like having him be like, I don't know, he's that old guy. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. While the other two are a little bit more like not straightforward, but I guess like quote unquote normal, uh, understandable. Like uh, yeah, just more solid. Yeah. No, not even like more solid, like uh, typical commonplace. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, well, there's a, people from open fields. Sometimes don't want to stay in open fields, and Cammy uh, is a witch who has a who has a blight, like who got cursed, and then and we Troy explicitly says all the time, yeah, man, hundred <laughs> percent. Like I wanted to leave and do some cool shit. So <laughs> I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I just want everyone to think about the reality in which we live, where if a person over the age of 70 just kind of shows up at a spot, you don't question why they're there. You just be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. This uh, is a great segue into the second half of Mr. Micah's question, which is, Eric, how many folks are left that still remember the Cascade? Is there any special reverence or distrust that the population might feel toward them? Thinking about how we think about World War II vets, for example, here in the U.S. Do people well, distrust do World War II yeah, vets? Yeah, that was my question. No, no, reverence or distrust. Oh. Like, if you see somebody with, like, their World War II veteran cap, you're like, oh, thank you for your service. Old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. I think this would be... We didn't really get to go into it, but like, you know, there's been a water crisis in Verdistello for 50 years. And like, hey, what was it like before we had to worry about that? I think uh, deserves a, star- a certain amount of reverence or at least like to be the one who has to carry the carry the story forward. Or maybe it's closer to like, you know, how we get old people to come on to documentaries to be first person accounts. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily reverence, but it's like, well, they know, they were there so they can tell us what happened mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not that stuff's true or whatever. I also, sorry, I don't also did not want to speak on behalf of Julia and Amanda for their characters' motivations. It has felt very clear to me from how you describe them during character creation. Yeah, that's fine. I, I'm also I'm curious, Eric, do you think maybe there's a bit of resentment from the younger generation to the older generation where it's like, oh, you guys had it so good when there was water just falling from the sky. It must be nice. I got it. OK, Bloomer. Wow. 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 Brandon, here's a joke. Thanks. Dad, thanks. he has two. Thanks. He can get two goose for thanks. Christmas. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I quit the podcast. I've, I've peaked. OK, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. It's, yeah, that's interesting. I think it might be more about like resentment towards the people who were supposed to have found the Infinite Lake by now and like how this has been given over to pirates. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, let's have our most rambunctious and least responsible people go out there and do the dangerous thing and go do it because it's not only, and I think this I wanted to do this intentionally, it's not only find the Infinite Lake, in the Infinite Lake is a salmon who gives you the wish that you want the most in the world. And, like, it's the combination of both. Like, what if you saved the world and also someone gave you infinite money, right? Like, what if there's a genie at the end? So I think that there's something selfish there. And maybe, like, I don't know, maybe there are conspiracies and and overstock about why the, if the infinite lake even exists or if the salmon was extracted from the infinite lake and they already got their wish. I think that there's quite a lot of stuff there about, like, maybe resentment that someone from like the institutions hasn't fixed the world already. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Here is a question from Cat Owl Dolls. What were your second choices for countries of origin? And Eric, did you have any ideas for countries that didn't make the cut? I did not. I kind of just decided to do four. It was like a four thing. I wanted to have four countries because, and just to give you enough options for character creation. So I kind of just chose the four that I wanted. So no, there are no, there's no secret, secret countries. Players. I'm just looking at the notes again because I think once Eric said open fields and their whole thing, you were very like, decisive. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's where we're going. I was really drawn to Hot House as well. I, I think Crags was always the most interesting to me, but I really liked the idea of the builder and like a civil service like nation state essentially. I, I think if I hadn't gone with open fields, I would have done unmoored because that felt right for Cammy's whole thing. That's right, but. Mm. You know, also so cool. open fields just worked out so well. I, I couldn't say no to it. Yeah, that was my option too, was unmoored. But I feel like that's giving into the Brandon impulses too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your character uh, can't, your character, you know, motivation can be a little unmoored, but yeah. having the world also be unmoored is, is a lot. Totally. Yeah. I am glad that someone did overstock. It did give me the chance to do fuck with their flags the most. 
Because, like, some of the older overstock flags just, like, were a little too gaudy and were a little too, like, had used too many stars. Mm. And I finally, like, really got into the bullshit that is people. (laughs) That is, like, the aldermans of overstock and, like, how self-centered they are and how, like, representational they wanted stuff to be. So, like, I'm glad that we kicked that around because uh, I really wanted to understand where this, this particular country was coming from. Like, imagine the entire country was, like, a liberal arts college in New Hampshire. <laughs> Real design by committee vibes, which I appreciate. And Claire online, by the way, Eric, less of a less of a, a question, more of a comment. Um, please design a new f- U.S. flag. I think it's time for a revamp. <laughs> the new Betsy Ross. Eric Silver, the new Betsy <laughs> Ross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, I mean, when you think about the United States flag, it's fucking bananas. I know. <laughs> During a flag design, Eric turns to me and he goes, our flag has 50 stars on it. I'm like, it does, honey. Sure does. Sure does. Imagine Betsy Ross was like, all right, folks, we have 13 colonies. Let's have a flag that demonstrates that. We have 13. We're going to put 13 stars on it in a circle. We're going to put it in this little field. It's like, all right, Betsy, what are you going to do with the rest? Well, we're going to remind people that there were 13 of us by having 13 stripes. And like, Betsy, you just said we have 13 stars. No, we got to do it twice. People won't know. What if we get more? Manifest destiny. It's just fucking wild. The whole flag is wild. That's 26. If you do the math cryptology based on the flag, you find the treasure on the back of the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Okay, Brandon. I have nothing to add. That's 100% okay, correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, Bloomer. It, ex- it explains the secret 13 states of the secret United States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Famously so. This may be a little bit who can say, but JL Bar 10 wants to know what our characters' first impressions of each other were. And there was also a great question about kind of the way we did um, in campaign one. Remember our little vignettes of our character introductions that we did um, and dropped into the feed before episode one? Um, Kelly M. Downs brought that up and said, I feel like this campaign's world and characters could be really well suited to something similar. And their question was, um, when you have a vivid and original world, how do you go about introducing new characters to give a snapshot of their backstory, which has with as much rich detail as the world you've created? So do we want to say anything about how we're going to introduce these characters um, and and what they think of each other. Well, I think it's important to note that we're kind of starting in media res in the story and also 50 years after the cascade is a little bit in media res for the world. Yes. But like, I think without spoiling, I don't think there's anything I can't spoil, but like, uh, I think for Umby, like he was just genuinely impressed with the, the two youngins, you know, prowess and skill and generosity and welcoming the old timer on board. So I think it's, you know, good stuff. Yeah, this is not something we talked about either. Like, you know, me, Julianne Brandon didn't like all have a discussion about what our characters thought of each other or how we got together, how we work together. Um, It's something that we have discovered in play, which I think is lovely. Like we, you know, we're opening, yeah, in media res. Like we're already a crew. You heard in the base building episode, we, you know, have a base, we have a ship, we have routines. And I think it's, it's really cool to do that world building by implication and not to start with like 40 minutes of narration, but, <laughs> but to sort of see and not be told what our dynamic is like. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I was very pleasantly surprised and that's the only way I'm going to really describe it. Very pleasantly surprised by how quickly it felt that we linked in to the team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Michelle Spurgeon also had a very kind thing to say um, about me saying uh, that she's proud of me for my growth in creating Troy uh, and asked what gave me the confidence to step it up for campaign three. And my answer is all the damn character creation we got to do yeah. and playing Dr. Bertha Bones and playing the one shot derby characters and uh, and hearing, you know, everybody's uh, positive reinforcement to making bolder choices. Um, so thank you all for for giving me that. Good Woo! job. Good job. Good job. Katja also said, if all my characters have red hair, will my new character have red petals, flowers, fur, etc.? I'm breaking the mold, baby. Troy Troy has yellow, neon yellow accents. And uh, his clothing is, you know, like brown and tan and blue and black and pirate colors. So, you know, trying something new. Troy's redheaded in his heart. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Troy has like some red pollen like just kind of stuck to his, his. Yeah, maybe like Eric's beard. It looks kind of brown from afar, but yeah. reddish when you get up close. Yeah. I'm into it. This is not an opportunity for you all to get up close to my beard. <laughs> you <laughs> sure? That's my privilege. Okay. I live in your beard, Eric. No, is that what Seattle is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. The Pacific Northwest of my beard. <laughs> All right, let's move into a couple questions about our base building episode, which was so dang fun. And again, click that link in the description for the This Is What My Camp Is Like and the other short world building games that Eric has put together that you can put to use in your own games because they're so much dang fun. So Deep Space 2121 wants to ask, what is the crew's status in the big top? Are they in charge or is there a different captain? Who can say? Mm, Interesting. I was thinking that like, you know, we're we're still kind of like a level one pirate crew. Again, this is for those of you who play Blaze in the Dark. Like, you can have a, a base, but you can still be, like, pretty small time relatively. And I guess, like, I don't know, also those of you who've played, like, who've read or watched Ready Player One, you know, in this kind of, like, fucked up meritocracy that exists where all you need to do is win the thing at the end, uh, much like finding the Easter eggs in the whole thing for whatever i can't believe it just rest, reference rudder player one is a good thing sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> but <laughs> but like you know you can still be have a you know low heat i guess as a crew while still also existing as part of a, a thing so like not necessarily i don't think there's a captain on the ship i've always liked that that none of you guys don't have a captain mm-hmm. but i wonder it's like you know various people live on the big top and because it's like a good place to do but you don't have enough to necessarily like own the island i don't know maybe in like an animal crossing situation that like y'all are the main characters but other people live in the town i don't know yeah i have two things to say one we very clearly if we listened it's not called the big top guys it's called the hold we dismissed the big top <laughs> damn all right let's get your fucking words straight y'all i thought it was because the three of you are fucking clowns that's why I was <laughs> hey, Eric, you made that exact same joke i know i'm saying it again <laughs> consistency baby <laughs> rule of three brandon <laughs> and then yeah I, I don't know we'll see what happens when we get there and play but um i always imagined it as like sort of like tortuga in disney where like there's no it's sort of like a free-for-all there's no no one in charge just a mystical quest on the island of Tortuga. That's what Michael Bolton would say. Okay. Nice. Because he from? likes the pirate. That's from the uh, Lonely Island song where oh. Michael Bolton really likes the Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. <laughs> All right, here, here's something important, though. Uh, Farles the GM says, How active is the home base volcano? And would it erupt traditional lava, hot honey, or something else? 
Oh, I like hot honey. I like hot honey. <laughs> thought it was so funny. <laughs> I think we explicitly said it was dormant, but I don't remember. We did, yeah. Well, but EF Julia, what's what, EF? What if I yeah. just keep rolling uh, D100 and if I get <laughs> if I get 69, then it goes off. No. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's pretty cool. I guess we should do also, it. Also, the idea of it being hot honey is very funny because that just means like the island itself is made of crystallized honey. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. Yeah. yeah. There was an ancient beehive in it, and then they were like, nah, going to go somewhere else. I was going to say it used to be the home of a bee god. We yeah. just came up with the creation myth, baby. There we go. Giant bee gods. I'm sure that's there's someone bad. who lives at the hold that truly believes that's the case. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Eric's wheels are spinning. Eric likes it. No, it's like, no, no, no. Fuck the planter. The planter is the planter is some, uh, some propaganda. No, it's the bee god. The yeah. bee god made, made all for it to sell Well, you got the planter, Eric, but who pollinated the plants that the planter planted? The fucking bees, Eric. The bees. Listen, there are plenty of religions and mythologies where you have a creator god and then you still have a whole, like, child god pantheon underneath so it's totally mm-hmm. fine we can make it work right right we have our who is the tom bombadil of verticello <laughs> it's the bee god i love it this is canon baby can't skip the after parties ever we have canon here jay factorial says the kelpie discussion made me wonder what would happen if the campaign three party saw a horse my guess universal horror <laughs> <laughs> who can say horse tail a, a, a straight horse that'd be, that'd be a lot yeah that'd be a lot All right, and let's now close with some questions about the podcast, about, uh, you know, a little little meta, a little behind the curtain here um, before we get into spoily corner. A little behind the veil, the water veil thing. There you go. The the cascade. There you go. Part the cascade like Moses and show you our microphones. I don't think I've ever gotten so many shaking heads from Julia this episode. (laughs) I'm not sanctioning your buffoonery this episode. (laughs) Simply am not. (laughs) So Glass Cat Owl says, seeing as campaign one was the party campaign, campaign two was join, and the campaign was the the, is there going to be a running arc or episode naming convention for campaign three? I gave you a good idea, Eric. I don't know if you ran with it or not, but what was it again? Was it pod? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I could backfill pod into it. Like party, (laughs) join party and the are pretty good, but I don't know if I could put the word pod into every single thing, but I love a, I love a structuring. And also I'm shooting to have shorter arcs than we did before. So uh, I think it'll be fun to have like a sort of structuring and then you'll see more titles instead, like episode one, two, three, instead of one through 10. I think so. We'll hopefully see more of that if I end up figuring something out. Right on. And if he doesn't, then it's just going to be named episode one, episode two. (laughs) Episode (laughs) Episode one, part one, episode one, part two. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Deep Space asked, do podcasts exist in the world of Vertistello? And does the crew listen and join the party? They're seed seed podcasts. Seed podcasts. They fall from trees, bonk you on the head, and you go, oh, gravity. (laughs) (laughs) And then you look at the seed and it says Joe Rogan written on it. Oh, Oh, no. no. (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't at all. I don't want to live in a world where Joe Rogan exists. Joe Rogan is like a rotten coconut, you know? Yeah, that's true. And then people love to drink it and, like, hallucinate. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Yeah, I would not curse our world with podcasts. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, Bray asked, you've talked in depth about how using D&D for this campaign was important to you, especially as something separate from what Wizards of the Coast is up to. But did you ever consider using a different system for campaign three? Good question. Uh, I think we were very excited to come back to Dungeons and Dragons. Again, we have been planning 
You looked this up recently. When did we do our first brainstorm about what we were going to do after campaign two? November 2021. November 2021, right? So we knew in November 2021 that we were going to do Monster of the Week next, and then we were going to return to Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. So, like, a lot of this stuff has been in the works, especially something that I noted in episode one. Um, You know, we recorded that, like, months ago. Like, I knew about Linda Kodega before they broke the news, (laughs) I'm just saying. But, like, you know, we made these choices before, and I feel like now that D&D is, like, unpopular because Wizards of the Coast fucking beefed it publicly and obviously now everyone's like oh I guess we should learn Pathfinder oh I guess we should play another game like we've been working on this for literally a year and a half two years so like we made these decisions and we're sticking to these decisions whatever Wizards of the Coast does does not affect what we do um, because you know we're playing a game and we're making this art and it doesn't matter what a the publisher of the game says so I just like want to make that clear about our choices and like, you know, as the tabletop RPG space has matured, games are becoming more and more specific, which is great because then you get to have a specific experience. But like those games only do that one thing. Like Blades in the Dark really only does heists. Monster of the Week does this type of thing that I talked about quite a lot during the campaign after parties that like Monster of the Week creates a Monster of the Week television show. We wanted to play something that was like that had combat, that was action oriented, that was relatively flexible in terms of genre. And like we also did not want to learn a new game system. We learned new game systems uh, many in a row, as you've heard from the campaign, going into the one shot derby and then playing Goat Party again and the other stuff that we did. So we wanted to come back to D&D and working with Mage Hand Press uh, to do it. It doesn't matter what the these like big corporations do. It's like we, we made these decisions about what the art and what the game and what the fun would be. And I just think that's important. It's also like a real, like, oh, I went to one high school and then not the other high school with like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder, you know? It's like, <laughs> oh, I grew up in a Pathfinder household. Yeah, we take our shoes off when we go in the door, when we come in the door. <laughs> As you should. Yeah. And I'm glad that a lot of people are exploring it, but, you know, instead of trying to like learn a whole new system to do something similar to what Dungeons and Dragons does, even if it is based off of it and improved in some ways, that's just not what we want to do. Yeah. I also just personally worry, like, about the audience. Like, obviously, probably for the worse, Dungeons & Dragons is the most popular game, but, like, people who True. aren't at all familiar with TTRPGs, and especially AP Podcasts, like, if they're going to get into a new one, they're going to get into a D&D game because they've heard the name D&D and they're interested in it. And, you know, Pathfinder, if we use Pathfinder, again, for better or for worse, like, it would just be another roadblock barrier to entry for folks getting into this sort of like space of TTRPG stuff that we love sharing with people. So, you know, I, I, I'm not putting any qualifiers on that. I don't think that's a bad thing, good thing. Like you can decide that yourself, but I think it's a reality for us as a podcast and a business, you know? Yeah. 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 It's the same reason why we're still on Patreon, uh, you know, where like there are, there are lots of options. They're all imperfect. This is the one that best suits what we want to do. Yeah. And saying to somebody, you can support us on Patreon means something and has a name recognition and someone, you know, is able to join Clarity Have an account versus uh, saying like, oh, we're in the super obscure thing that you probably don't know about. They don't even know that they want to learn it. And a lot of the people I'm really proud about who come to join the party from the very beginning, the idea was like other D&D spaces may have made you feel unwelcome this one is for you and we Mm -hmm. want to be people's entry point to the wide world of ttrpgs yeah yeah uh there are pathfinder games out there pathfinder shows out there burnt cookbook party that has Mm -hmm. jenna steber on it Mm -hmm. very good also really funny they call themselves a DD podcast explicitly on their art they play pathfinder (laughs) (laughs) 
so, you, so you basically like can't choices. tell in yeah, the narrative. People make, yeah, they make choices about how they want to market themselves, even when they play something. So I, it's it's funny. Uh, it's a, it's a complicated thing, and it also hurts that like Wizard of the Coast fucked it up so hard that they're fracturing the space. I mean, it's yeah. it's true. And I also personally think that Dungeons and Dragons is the best game for actual play. I think that the way that 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 just the game flows. But unless you're doing something that's straight up has no game mechanics, is pretty much long form improv. You're not going to find something that's crunchy that also can translate to this. Like I've listened to a lot of friends at the table, and some of that stuff goes right over my head. I do not know how to play Lancer now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like uh, it's that's it's tough. It's tough. Well, guys, we have so much more to get into and explore in Campaign 3. Gosh, we are so excited to get started. So we have to close with Spoily Corner. Though, may I suggest, are we going to call it like something a little more pirate themed, something a little more ship oriented? Maybe this is like the Spoily Schooner. Is this the Spoily Dinghy? Is this the the Spoily Life Preserver? <laughs> the Spoily Cabin? How about how about walk? Spoil the plank. It's good. <laughs> Is that better? That's pretty good. Spo- sure. Let's go with hold. it. The spoil, yeah. the spoils nest. The spoily hold. The spoily. Good. The crows spoils. The crow spoils. <laughs> the crow spoils. No, I, I, I like spoil the plank. Let's let's roll with spoil the plank, right. and we'll let we'll okay. let people uh, tell us if there is something we're missing. Okay. Yar, spoil the plank. All right. Uh, Luisa said, "Will there be in-world jokes only, like in campaign one, or pop culture jokes as well, like in campaign two? First of all, fucking bless you for listening to us mm-hmm. right from the beginning of campaign one when we said that to hold ourselves accountable in 2017. Yes. Bless you that you listened to us in that, that detailed and remembered that. Incredible. Bless you. Uh, I mean, from my perspective as an editor, like, uh, unless the joke is very fucking good, like, they're going to be in morals. <laughs> Great. Love it. There's gonna we're we've really been pushing ourselves with our uh, plant bug and, and produce puns, and I'm excited mm-hmm. to do more of that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's definitely by doing pirate stuff. It's a little bit less of like that pop culture reference that I used that we did in campaign one, where it's like it's a fantasy Starbucks. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by <laughs> doing pirate stuff, it's like well, you know, pirate stuff is different than like I want to have Air Jorbins in my campaign. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, Deep Space said, with all the talk of kidnapping and theft, is this the join the party villain era? Hmm? I mean, I think it's Julia's just like influence permeating this entire podcast. Cool. Julia's looking at me like she's gonna kill me. <laughs> sure, I'm the villain. It's fine. No worries. It's all it's good. Me. I'm the problem. I think pirates have a morality scale that you know is not black and white, and it is yeah. totally fine to do certain things if it's in the name <laughs> of certain things. You know. Mm-hmm. Hey Julia, can you just insert a supercut of Brandon's characters doing fucked up? Oh, shit I shall. <laughs> I absolutely will. I'm just saying. Is that easy enough for you to turn around in a couple of days? Yes. Yeah. Here's the thing: legality is not morality, and that's going to be a key point for this campaign. I feel like it's true. Absolutely, it's you can't absolutely. tell unless you're watching us uh, via spy cam. But Julia sweatshirt does say that. So mm-hmm. legality <laughs> is not morality. <laughs> That'd be good merch. That that would be really funny. Um, it's like a, and then there's like a salmon in a lake. Yeah. Well, Eric, speaking of which, uh, and not a goldfish said, uh, pronunciation suggestion on salmon, salmoon, and they live on the moon, which makes me ask, does Vertistella have a moon? Do they know what moons are? (laughs) Who can say? say? I will say again, shout out to Star Wars for making me think of this. uh, Vertistella has very similar weather patterns and uh, sun galaxy shit as um, ours does because it's a 
it's a plant-based thing, and I don't sure. feel like overthinking that the Earth seems to have really <laughs> worked that one out. Sure, sure, makes sense. Uh, Maureen Davy Jones's stalker says, "Can we get a weekly wild wrestling fact from Julia? I'm not too far into the ep yet, but I'll be thinking about the upright bass slinging identical twin faking guy for a long time." Shout out mm-hmm. to Elias. Yeah. May I suggest a weekly wrestling fact on join the party side quests? Twitch.tv slash JTP side There you go. You may suggest it and would recommend it. Hell yeah. Then I have to like think of facts. Oh no, oh, Julia, and you know no facts, regardless of how trivial they are. Famously <laughs> terrible at facts. If only there was like a quiz of some sort <laughs> that was about trivial facts specifically. But that doesn't exist, <laughs> Eric. So like, I'm just I'm fucked. So if only like some tavern or alcohol establishment or like pub- a cheap one, like but a public on the, house. What's another word for a public on the house? South side of Long Island, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, two more spoily questions. Uh, Paul says, is everything that the PCs encounter going to be food or bug based or just the green folk? For example, if they encounter a kraken, is it a regular kraken or like a kraken with a melon head and vine tentacles? That. That. That's tight we'll as see, hell. Paul. I'm going to write we'll that see. down, Paul. Uh, and finally, from Marl Bell, how fucking stoked for this campaign are you on a scale of a small collection of bryophytes, aka moss, to the world's largest living organism, Pando, a colony of quaking aspen clones that occupies 108 acres and is estimated to weigh 6,000 tons. I didn't know it had a name. That's cool. That one. That, that one. one. Marl Bell. Woo! Woo! Fuck yeah, dude. Also, you guys haven't even heard the blank yet, so like you That's don't even right. know what's oh coming. Oh my god, the blank! Yeah. You don't even know what's coming. Yeah. Sale. And if Sail. you're if you're a patron, you will hear much much more about the blank uh, next Friday after episode one comes out. You're not gonna want to miss it. Believe yes, me. our party planning is going to be uh, Off the Brandon hook. and I talking. <laughs> yeah, Brandon and I are, are going to talk about the blank and also the other stuff uh, around it as we like prepare the blank and the art and stuff and what oh. it was like what it was like getting character art and all that stuff it was fun yeah. it's gonna be tight as hell thank you for your enthusiasm thank you for your fan art cami winning the day uh two fan arts so far <laughs> uh tbd but we uh we love you uh i love all of you i love vertistello and i can't wait to pirate it up this is amanda's proposal to our audience please get married <laughs> trying to think about flower wedding. Okay. I'll be thinking about that as we go. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary defines a... Oh, no. Bye, everyone! <laughs> Later. Sale. May your rolls turn to ever upward. <laughs>